Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. In her lecture, Beyond Prescription and Prohibition, Making Shabbat Your Own, Dina Weiss emphasizes the role clothing can play in making Shabbat feel different. It's a topic Dina is known for, and I love how, in this episode, Dina challenges the assumption that clothing can be superficial. Instead, considering how what we wear can reflect who we are on the inside. Let's listen in. Last week, um, we started with this realization right, that maybe the reason why we have this emphasis on Oneg Shabbat, on making Shabbat feel sweet and enjoyable, is that maybe, right, if you were to just sort of look at Shabbat on its own, it's not clear, right, that the experience would be so enjoyable. And the prime, you know, example of the way in which Shabbat could be unenjoyable, right, was that you might feel tremendous economic pressure, right? And that actually being forced to keep Shabbat in an enjoyable way might make that better and make that worse. We try to explore, right, the ways in which having a principle of Onek Shabbat, right, of, of, of enjoying Shabbat, which is deliberately, right, made to be tailor-made to your situation, is kind of a way of saying, try to uncover what it is that makes Shabbat difficult for you. And then also try to uncover a strategy, right, that is going to enable that, right? And we also saw some examples that were really counterintuitive, right? Even though most of the examples of Onik Shabbat were eating, but we also saw examples of fasting, right, as a type of Onik Shabbat, which really goes to show that as long as you're sort of keeping within the Shabbat framework of what's allowed and what's not allowed, there's really a tremendous amount of latitude for making Shabbat feel like it's the right fit for you. So that was one. Onik Shabbat last week, right, and I kind of summarized it as it's about making Shabbat feel a little better, right? Either because you just want Shabbat to feel better. Or because otherwise Shabbat will feel bad. So that was last week. Um, this week we're moving on, and we're also moving on in the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, the verse in Yeshayahu that, you know, is the source for a lot of these metahalachic principles on how to keep Shabbat. And now we're moving to Kavod Shabbat. Okay, and I, I characterized Onan Shabbat, making Shabbat more enjoyable, as being about making Shabbat a little bit better, a little bit sweeter. Kavod Shabbat, I think, is actually about making Shabbat feel different. For people who have, you know, very laborious jobs, you know, being told, well, you can't do the labor of your job on Shabbat automatically makes Shabbat feel different. But I think for a lot of us, and I think particularly for, you know, Jewish professionals, there often is a, a blur between, um, you know, your weekday and your Shabbat. I just, I remember that my father told me that my grandfather had this dream that he would be a pharmacist. And I thought, you know, why did my grandfather want you to be a pharmacist? My father is not a scientifically you know, inclined, medically inclined, like it wasn't a good fit. And my father answered that like my grandfather got it into his head that if my father was a pharmacist, he wouldn't have to work on Shabbos. Joke on him because my father became a cantor and guess what? He works on Shabbos, right? So there's this kind of, um, you know, sense that like, actually Shabbat could be just another day, right? Particularly if you're not someone who does a lot of manual labor. And therefore we need something that's going to make Shabbat feel a little bit different. Um, and that is Kavod Shabbat. We're going to primarily be talking about Kavod Shabbat in terms of clothing. Although there are other dimensions to it that we are not going to really touch upon. We're going to tap into, well, actually, Shabbat could be hard because I like to work. Work is part of my identity. When people ask me, you know, what do you do, right, what they mean is, what is your profession, right? And that is, you know, on the one hand, not a particularly pleasant feature of American culture. I remember during the economic recession, I like realized in 2008, I was like, I can't have this profession anymore. What do you do? professionally, because that is like not answerable by like, you know, 10% or more of the population and like 50% of my friends. Right? So I, I had to come up with, you know, better questions. What are you passionate about? What are you reading right now? Right? Because you can't 
we can't always ask the professional question, right? But to the extent that we do, right? And we think of ourselves in our professional mood, when Shabbat says, actually, today you're not professional, right? That can be really difficult. And so we're going to talk a little bit about leaning into the difficulty there and also trying to construct uh, maybe a new model that enables us to, to appreciate um, how Shabbat makes that a little bit easier for us. We are talking about Kavod Shabbat, and we are also going to be talking about that specifically in terms of clothing. So I have three questions that I prepared for you um, to answer in the poll so we can get, you know, kind of the pulse um, of the folks in the class. The first question um, is about, you know, whether you have some sort of special thing that you only do or only use or only wear on Shabbat. I just want to clarify, right, that's not... I only use a Kiddush cup on Shabbat because I only make Kiddush on Shabbat. It's more like I have a pair of shoes that I really love and I only wear those pair of shoes on Shabbat. It's in that way. Okay. Adi, let's launch the poll. First question. Do you have anything that you wear or an item that you use only on Shabbat? 64% of you said yes. That is actually a very low percentage. Usually when I ask this question, the percentage of people who say yes to this question is over 80%. I'm gonna to try to push us to 100% by the end of today's conversation, okay? That is, um, that is my not so subtle goal. Folks who, um, who know me well know that I'm actually obsessed um, with this question of special Shabbat clothes. I have special Shabbat everything, two raincoats, you know, two sets of jewelry, two, uh, you know, separate shampoo that I use in Arab Shabbat. Like, I'm crazy about this. So if you just take like a little bit of that craziness home with you, I'm going to be very gratified. Whether or not you ever had to wear a uniform, okay, split 50-50, which is an interesting, like, cultural right? But what also is really important is that the question of was wearing a uniform positive or negative also split 50-50. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two representatives of wearing a uniform with positive and two representatives of wearing a uniform with negative, and you're going to explain to us why. I'm, I do not like to wake up in the morning. Uh, it saved me a few minutes of time to have something that, you know, very limited choice, paradox of choice, so it's much easier to choose what I was going to wear. Was I was a misfit in other ways, but I never felt like I was out of place. Um, everybody was wearing the same thing. That, that's why I appreciated it. Okay, got it. So you, you articulated two reasons. One of them was kind of like, it's just, it's expedient, right? To not have to worry about what you're going to wear. I think underneath that, right, is that generally, right, we are concerned about what we're going to wear, right? So if we're in a world where we're in the absence of uniform, actually, we always have a little bit of low-level stress over what it is we're going to wear, right? And the second is, I think you sort of pointed to what, what I think of the goal often is with uniforms, although in my experience, that goal is rarely met, right? And that is, oh, well, if everybody's wearing a uniform, then you're not going to be able to tell who's cool and who's not cool. You're not going to be able to tell, you know, who's wealthy and who's not wealthy. In my experience, there's always a way, right? The wealthy kids are going to figure out how to like spice up their uniform in a way that lets you know that they got it. But you are articulating, right, that that is in some sense is the ideal of a kind of like leveling of the playing field if we're all wearing the same thing. Okay, good. I also have had a positive experience wearing a uniform, uh, specifically when I was in the army and the uniform was a very strict requirement and had all kinds of rules and regulations associated with it. Um, so it definitely meant that I didn't have to think too much about what I had to wear. But the more important thing from my point of view is that it was a source of pride. Any uniform is a marker to some degree of what organization or institution you're a part of. And, and I was proud to be part of the army. It by definition distinguishes one. So I think I was, you know, felt some sort of pride from that. Not everyone, you know, chooses, you know, volunteers and, you know, goes through the training and all of that. And so by wearing the uniform, it's sort of was like validating to me that like I had gotten to that point. I, I appreciate that you that you articulated the ways in which a uniform both makes you part of the group, right? I'm wearing the uniform because I am a soldier, right? We're all part of this group. But then when you're out and about, this uniform it makes you different, right? And you also sort of appreciate that. And there's a way in which 
assigning yourself to a group right, is both a way of establishing your sameness with other people and um, establishing your difference. Now we're up to the negative side. We need two volunteers for people who are not pro-uniform and why that experience was, was challenging for you. I actually uh, had the opposite experience where I initially felt pot, like said that I felt positive about it, but then um, remembered uh, working in food service in college um, when I would uh, just like wear an apron and like the shirt for the business that I worked for um, was, uh, I think, you know, between that or just maybe like being behind the counter. Um, was treated um, with much less respect than I was whenever I was just like walking around town. And then also, um, you know, uh, as a queer person, there's like a lot uh, about like my identity that is most easily communicated through like clothing or hair. And so in like other instances, uh, being restricted in that way um, actually made me feel much more like dishonest and uncomfortable out in the world. Great. Thank you for your service as well, because food service is not an easy, easy business. And I think that, um, right, that your comment and Michael's comment, I, in some ways, really make a pair, right? Because Michael says, you know, I'm proud to walk around in my army uniform because I, I can feel that people respect, right? And, and, you know, the exact opposite happens when you're walking around in your food service uniform and you can sort of sense the way that, like, your identity and, like, your dignity, right, can often be sort of effaced by that you are seen as a server, right, and not as a person, right? So we're also going to get to get to that difficulty, right? And also, you know, I think that in some ways your comment is also the opposite of Lauren's comment. There's a plus side to sort of not having to worry about expressing yourself, you know, individually through the clothes that you wear. But for some of us, that question is much more high stakes, right? And there's a lot of work that we're doing in self-presentation that is actually essential, right? Not sort of optional work, um, and when you're forced to wear a certain thing that, you know, I think um, the language of robbed, it's taken from you. Okay, beautiful. So, and I was young to be in this situation working for a company that had a very, very, very rigid dress code in terms of how formal and the colors. And it was clear to me when I wound up at headquarters, for example, there was an older woman in my department who didn't want other jobs, didn't care about promotions, didn't like to present in public. So she didn't conform. And because of that, those things didn't happen. And I have always called myself shopping impaired for clothing. So I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. I could get the constraints, but the amount of time and money to get certain kinds of suits, to get them dry clean, only certain kinds of shirts and colors, while clearly the rewards were worth it professionally, I did not enjoy the investment of time and resource. I can just say, since the model was really for a body type that is more particular to a wasp than an Ashkenazi Jew, <laughs> it really was not easy to conform. And I had to forego like the little female version of the bow tie. It just looked ridiculous, which was a little iffy, but then I had to conform more in other ways. Okay, great. Thank you. So um, I, I really appreciate your, you know, you're calling attention to right that not all uniforms are you know necessarily like clearly dated and also right not always provided for you right sometimes you have to wear a certain thing and you have to be the one who finds that thing right which can be um, extremely extremely difficult extremely challenging right and I think that you're also um, pointing to which I'm glad that um, that you touched upon there's a real superficiality right often to to focusing too much on what you wear. And often there's an irony, right, where when it's a uniform or it's a dress code, right, where it's supposed to be like, hey, if you focus on what you wear, because we're all wearing the same thing, it actually has the effect of making you like very conscious of what you wear, um, as opposed to sort of being able to just roll out um, and what you were, you know, already planning to put on. Okay, good. We're in the Gemara and Zvachim. Rabbi Abba said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, but it is also come in the name of Rabbi Yezer, Rabbi Shimon, 
that which the verse says, okay, we're, we're bringing a verse from Sefer Shmot, which talks about how the Kohanim are supposed to be dressed. You shall gird Aaron and his sons with a belt, and you shall dress their heads with turbans, and the priesthood shall be an everlasting love. At the time that their clothes are upon them, their priesthood is upon them. When their clothes are not upon them, their priesthood is not upon them. Right? So this teaching of Rabbi Yochanan is kind of hyper-literally reading this expression of the haita lahem kuhuna. Right? It will be for them the priesthood. And you can't really see that in the in the English, but it's and the priesthood shall be. But if you if you you know shift the order, right, and the and they and like they shall be the priesthood, right? There is this sense in which the clothes make the priest. There's a statement that when their clothes are on them, their priesthood is on them, and when their clothes are not on them, their priesthood is not on them. First, I want to just make sure we understand the legal sense that Rabbi Yochanan is talking about, and then I want to expand a little bit to what I think is the broader sense of what he's talking about. Right in the strict uh, legal sense, right, what's being stated is you're not allowed to serve in the temple or the tabernacle in your civilian clothes. You have to be wearing the right garments. If you're not wearing the priestly garments, you might as well not be a priest. Okay, we're not going to allow you to function as a priest if you're not wearing the clothes, right? So I'm sorry, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I understand that you're the most accomplished surgeon, but you don't go into surgery wearing shorts and a t-shirt. You're going to be wearing scrubs, right? So as long as they're wearing the clothing, then they can perform the rituals. But if they're not wearing the clothing, they're not permitted to do the rituals. Priesthood, right, is something that they put on when they put on their uniform and take off, right? When they take off their uniform, right? So the first element is that it helps them step into their role. It allows them to take the priesthood upon themselves. And I think it's actually like really important that we're talking about priests, right? Because priests, that's a, that's a genetic thing, right? If I'm a man and my father was a priest and his father was a priest and everything's sort of going well, then I'm a priest, right? And so you might think that priestliness is sort of as inherent as anything else, like in your identity or in your body. And then we'll be able to know, like actually priesthood is a role that you play when you put on, right? Then you step into that role. Um, and when you're not in it, you're not in it. Um, and I think that sort of, this is really important in the, also in the like fake it till you make it, right? The first time that a cocaine does the service, he does not feel like a real priest. None of us, the first time we ever did something that was like high stakes and we had been training for it, the first time we did it, we felt like a faker, right? And so here, there's also, I think, a sort of suggestion that like, once you're wearing the clothes, everybody's going to think of you as a priest, right? So really like step in to this uniform and that will enable you to step into that role. Okay, I think that's the first sense. Right, but then the second sense is, you know, which I think very, very important in terms of the conversation in Shabbat, there's also a sense of, yeah, but you can take the clothes off and you don't have to be a priest all the time, right? You know, all of us have clients, students, you know, patients that we, that we see in, in professional capacities. And then there's like that awkward moment, right, where you see that person in the grocery store, right? And if you're a doctor and you're, you know, shopping for dinner, you really want your patient coming to you and showing you a rest, right? Because you're not in your office, you're not in your doctor setting. And so it's as if, right, to this person, you are not their doctor, right? And I think that there's something that, um, that is freeing here. Right, that Rabbi Yochanan is saying about the Kohanim, but might also be saying to us, which is let people step into their professional roles and then let them step out of it. Um, for me, one of the most important kind of frameworks for thinking about you know the real the real spiritual meaning of this 
Uh, but to think about it in terms of, you know, pe person first language. We are not, right, the roles that we inhabit, we are people first, and then we take on certain identities, right? So before I had this teaching of Rabbi Yochanan, I would think, Aaron wakes up in the morning, and he's a priest, right? And then I believe that really Aaron wakes up in the morning, and he's a person of priestly lineage. And then he goes to work, and he has a person of priestly profession, and then he gets to go back and just be on our own again, where he gets to actually be a person whose identity is separate from the work that they do and the role that they play, right? And I think that the language of upon them, alehem, it really gets to this way in which it's kind of a mask. It's kind of a play that we're doing where we step into these roles and it's equally important, right, to step out of it once we're done inhabiting. Um, so now we're going to switch our switch our focus a little bit to Shabbat. Right? How does this all get us to Shabbat clothes? Which, as I said, is the most important thing in my religious life. And everybody, at the end of this class, if you don't already have something that you only wear on Shabbat, do it. Okay. You should honor him that is honor God, or maybe it's honor Shabbat, um, by desisting from your own ways. Right, here's the language of honor, kavod, and honor it, or honor him. That your Shabbat clothing should not be like your weekday clothing. This is the most important law of Hilchot Shabbat clothing, right? The laws of what you're supposed to wear on Shabbat. People think you're supposed to wear fancier clothes on Shabbat. I wear nice clothes on Shabbat. It seems very clear, right, from the Gemara here. And notice it's Rabbi Yochanan who's going to be coming up soon. He had to Rabbi Yochanan, this is like Rabbi Yochanan, who called his clothing, those which honor me. Okay, so we have Rabbi Yochanan coming in again, saying your clothing, right, is, is, a, is a core part of how you think of yourself, how other people think of you, with honor or without honor, right, thinking about the, you know, the food service example. Right, and, and what Shabbat clothing is about is not about being nice and being fancy or being expensive. It's about not wearing weekday clothes, right? And why is it so important that we wear different clothes? Because it's not just about what I do on Shabbat versus what I don't do on Shabbat. It's also about who I am on Shabbat versus who I'm not. And stepping out of your weekday clothing and stepping into your Shabbat clothing allows you to make that transition from weekday person to Shabbat person. Um, you shall wash and anoint and put on your dress. Okay, this is Naomi telling Ruth, hey, you know, you got a big day tonight, but you didn't realize it. Why don't you dress? Why don't you get a little bit clean and then put on your dresses? Rabbi Elazar says, Elu begadim shal Shabbat. These are Shabbat clothes. Okay, so if anybody asks you who is the first person to ever wear Shabbat clothes, the answer is root. Okay? Right, and here I think there's both the sense of she's stepping it up a little because she wants to impress Boaz, right? But also her regular clothes are the clothes that she wears in his field to glean as a poor person who is dependent on his largesse. Right? If she wants to, him to think of her, not as a dependent, but as like an individual, right? as a person, she needs to not present herself the way that he is accustomed to seeing her. She needs to present herself differently. Right? And so she needs to wear her Shabbat clothes because on Shabbat, she doesn't work. She's not collecting, gleaning grain from the fields. She's just root on Shabbat. Um, we're continuing, and again, it's another quotation from our good friend and teacher, Rabbi Yochanan. When is changing one's clothes found in the Torah? How do I know that I'm supposed to change my clothes? The answer is, and it says, he took off his clothes and put on different clothes. Right, this is Aharon um, doing the priestly service. He is constantly changing his clothes. But he doesn't wear one set of clothes the whole time. He's constantly doing wardrobe changes. The Torah has taught you proper manners. Why is Aharon constantly changing his clothes? 
It's very inefficient, right? Just wear the same clothes all day. Why does he have to constantly change his clothes? The Torah has taught you proper manners. One should not serve a drink to his master in the clothes in which he cooks a dish for his master. I'm going to say that again. One should not serve a drink to his master in the clothes in which he cooked a dish for his master. Okay, so we can see, right, the same person is in two roles. This person, she's a chef. And this person, she's a waitress. Okay, your chef whites are covered in gunk. They are, you know, full of whatever you have been using to cook with. But you don't serve in that clothing. You change, right? And you serve in clean clothes. Okay, and I think that like part of what's going on here, um, at least for me as I'm reading this text, right, is there's there's a sense here of trying to conceal the effort that went into making that dish, right? When I come out of the kitchen and I'm sweating and I'm covered in oil and tomato sauce and whatever it is, and my hands smell like onions, I am exuding the effort it took me to create that meal. But if I come out, new dress, totally fresh, totally calm, you know, took a shower, whatever, right? Then you don't see the effort. It all comes off as effortless. There's a sort of negative quality here. Like we want the person who's eating the meal to appreciate how much effort went into it, right? But I think that there's also a teaching here about like the right way to give a gift. When you give a gift, you take off the price tag. When you um, help someone, you always say it was nothing. It was no problem. No matter how hard it was, right? Because part of freeing a person to receive your gift is freeing them from the guilt of, I have to pay you back. You know, I have to feel bad about how much effort you put in, right? If you're in this mindset of the gift is totally dissociated from the effort that went into it, you're really able to, to, to have the person receive it um, in a freer way. And we have another statement in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Now it's Rabbi Chayyab saying that Rabbi Yochanan said, it is a disgrace for a sage to go into the market in tattered shoes. And he said, any sage who finds a greasy stain on his clothing is liable for death. I just, Rabbi Yochanan um, frequently says that people are liable for death for things that we might not think are, are death sentence worthy. He's a very hyperbolic speaker sometimes. Okay, so Rabbi Yochanan says, any sage who finds a greasy stain on his clothing is liable for death. As it says, all those who hate me love death. But do not read those who hate me, but those who called me to be hated, okay, so Rabbi Yochanan assumes but it's walking around in tattered shoes and walking around in dirty clothing, that is going to cause God to be hated. Because this person is supposed to be the person who is employed by God, right? This is God's employee. We want God's employee to look well taken care of. If God's employee does not look well taken care of, well, that does not reflect well on God as an employer. And for those of us who are employers, right, take this to heart, right? The happiness of your employees, it's about you. You should be concerned if your employees cannot make ends meet and are walking around in tattered shoes um, and stained clothes. So it's going about that. We had this teaching of Rabbi Yehudah, which is also quoted in Rabbi Yehudah, Rabbi Shimon's name, that clothing with the uniform of the priests enables them to step into their role and to step out of their role, okay? And then we transition that conversation to Shabbat clothes, right? That Shabbat clothes are supposed to be the clothes that we wear when we take off our other clothes. You know, one of the reasons why in general, right, we would change our clothes is to strip ourselves, right, from this effort. You know, there's this kind of, I think, really beautiful, like shift that's supposed to happen on, you know, Friday night, 
It's like Friday afternoon, we're sweating, we're hairy, we're working really, really hard. Um, and then on Shabbat, while the center, we're wearing clean, nice clothes because we're dissociating ourselves from the effort that it took to bring Shabbat together. Just to come back to, uh, you say, when you were, you know, you're preparing for Shabbat and cooking and um, a friend told me a story that she went to someone for Shabbat uh, dinner and uh, the hostess, you know, looked so like she put so much into it, so much effort. She she looked so tired. and (laughs) So she said, you know, they, they all felt bad about it and you know and apparently she's been she's been um you know marked by that that impression so since then I always you know I really make an effort to put on some makeup I mean so I don't look like you know even though it was a lot of of uh, work and preparation but uh, I try to remember that story and and you, you also came up with that idea not to make my guests feel like I went through, you know, so, so much to prepare. Okay, beautiful. I'm glad that this was um, already, you know, a lesson that, that you, you're living, right? And I think that, um, you know, you spoke about, like, your guests noticing that you look harried and you look worn out. Um, but I think that, you know, for many of us, it's also about ourselves associating, right, from the really hard work that we did in order to make it to Shabbat, right? Because you could just spend your whole Shabbat, like just recovering from all the hard work that you did, like resenting all the hard work that you did and never be able, you know, to just appreciate what you've accomplished. So when you change your clothes, you're like, hey, now I'm a queen, right? Now I'm in the eating mode and I'm not in the prep mode, um, right? It sort of allows you to also like step not just out of your professional role, but also maybe out of your Shabbat preparer role. Um, I had a question. So from the text about the priests, we get this idea that you can kind of take off the uniform and not be in your role. But the text about the Torah scholars seems to say to me that like in some level, maybe there are some jobs that you can't really let your guard down. Yeah. I think that that's fair, right? That it, it does seem like, you know, we can try our best to like not constantly be sort of performing, right? Our jobs, but you like, I could walk, you know, Again, I'll just use the supermarket example. I'm just like they like, not even more. I'm not, I'm not Dina, your teacher now. I'm just, I'm just regular Dina. But like that actually doesn't work, right? So you always have to have, you know, some awareness of other people, like not necessarily being able to strip you of your role. Um, and and I actually think that like we would do other people a favor if we actually tried to strip them of their role, you know, when we see them outside of their professional context to sort of give them a break. Um, but you're right, right? It's not always it's not always possible. And you're right to pick up on that tension in the text. There's a Ramban here that talks about why it is that the priests are wearing white linen clothes. Okay. And he says, well, the reason for this is like the man clothed in linen. Okay. The man clothed in linen is actually, right, uh, an archangel. Okay, and so when the priest is wearing white linen garments, he is wearing white linen garments to actually look like the angels. One of the convers- one of the uh, questions that's going to be looming for us as we continue um, into the rest of the text is, why are they calling an angel the man clothed in linen? Right? What is with this focus on clothing for the angel? Right, I understand if I'm looking at it from the priestly perspective, I'm trying to figure out what a priest should wear. Why don't I see what the angels wear? And it would be awesome if I could wear exactly what the angels wear. Right. So from the priestly perspective, from the human perspective, makes a lot of sense to look up and see what they're wearing and just copy the fashion of the angels. But from the angelic perspective, it's a little bit odd for angels to be wearing clothes. I don't know that much about angelic anatomy, but from my understanding, it shouldn't be necessary, okay, for angels to wear clothes. Um, So part of what we are going to be unpacking um, in the other two sources that we're going to be looking at is 
the significance of the clothing of the angel. And now we are in um, Reptanak Cohen of Lublin. Reptanak was a tremendously prolific writer. And he also had, um, in addition to kind of his, you know, well-known works, you know, his commentary on the Torah, his, um, and he has like a very well-known philosophical work, Tzidkarat Tzadik, he also had all these like little pamphlets, right? They're like very, they're like very, very short, um, where he takes on different topics. One of my, um, one of my favorites is that he has a whole book that's just like Torah that came to him in his dreams. And like, yes. It has the quality that you might expect of Torah that, that comes to someone in their dreams. One of these little pamphlets is Sichat Malachi Hashari. It's the conversation of the angels. So, so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at some, some angelic perspective. Okay, here we go. And indeed, the complete person, Adam Hashalim who knows that their purpose in having been created in this world is to do the will of God. And for that, this person was sent. This language of mishtaleach was sent, right, has the sense of being sent on a mission. It is possible for the description of angel to fall upon this person truly and consistently. Be'emet bitmidut. Okay, so he, the first thing he does is he breaks down this distinction that we have between humans and angels. Angels are these people that serve, well, not people, these entities, right, that serve God in this kind of complete way, and they're so close to God, and they're so focused on their mission. But for the Christians, there's absolutely nothing right, that prevents us from being angels, right? Because what makes an angel an angel is that they know that their purpose in this world is to serve God and to do God's will. Well, guess what? Human beings can also achieve that level, right? And so we can actually be accurately called angel, right? And that the consistent goal of this person's heart and their direction are inclined exclusively to the service of God and the performance of God's mission and God's will. May God be blessed. Just as a person can be called a tailor, or a doctor, or something similar, according to their profession, which is their exclusive business, so too this person can be called by the description angel. I think this is so important, because essentially it says, why do I call a person who sews for a living a tailor? Because all of the time, right, all of their efforts are towards making clothes, and selling them, right? So I call that person a tailor because their goal in life and all of their energies are being put towards making and providing clothing, all right? And we don't feel weird calling someone a tailor. We don't feel weird calling someone a doctor. And he says, so similarly, we shouldn't feel weird calling people angels, right? If what's true about you is that Instead of being obsessed with your professional life, right, you're obsessed with your spiritual life and what you're worried about at night and what you're spending your free time on and you're spending your energy on is being a kind of person, right, that has, you know, God and morality centered as what your business is, right, you would be accurately called an angel. And I think that like even here, he has a little bit of a, a rebuke, like a little bit of Tosafat saying, hey, why are you going around introducing yourself as Dr. So-and-so? When you could be with the Indian, you could be the healing angel, right? It's actually a choice that we have to think of ourselves as professionals or to think of ourselves as servants of God. Then in this, in this next section, um, which I don't want to spend too much time reading inside, he basically compares the priests to the angels and he says the reason why they wear the same clothes, right, and they're referred to in the same way, is because they're doing the same thing, right? As we saw earlier, the angels are serving God, the priest is serving God. So of course they're wearing the same uniform. Of course they have the same terminology applied to them. They're doing the same thing. We're at the section now where it says, and the explanation of this in the English, ubi or in the Hebrew. 
And now he's going to talk about the question that I raised earlier. Why am I talking about the angels' clothes? I understand that priests are like angels and we are like priests. We all start flying and it's all, you know, we should all be wearing the same thing. But like, wait a minute, why are we wearing the same thing? Why are angels wearing anything at all? And the explanation of this is that a person is composed of a body and a soul. And the body is clothing for the soul. As it says, you have clothed me with skin and flesh, or just as the essence of a person is not visible if they are clothed, and we only see their clothing, for the clothing is visible, yet we understand that there's a person clothed within it. So too, the soul is not seen, and only the clothing testifies that there is something in it that is clothed. I'm going to read this section one more time because it's a little bit complicated, but I think it's extremely beautiful. The explanation of this is that a person is composed of a body and a soul, and the body is clothing for the soul. As it says, you have clothed me and skin and flesh. Just as the essence of a person is not visible if he is clothed, and we only see his clothing, for the clothing is what's visible, yet we understand that there is a person clothed within it, so too the soul is not seen, and only the clothing testifies that there is something in it that is clothed. Okay, so essentially what he's saying is, and to use a very um, pedestrian example, when I raise up my arm, okay, I'm wearing long sleeves, and I can say, you know, what do you see? And you might say, I see a sleeve. I see a sweater. And you would be correct. When I raise my arm and you see the shape that the sweater takes, you know that underneath it is my arm. And so when you see my arm, even though it's clothed in a sweater, you don't think that you're seeing a sweater. You know that you're seeing my body, my body, which is clothed, right? And so essentially there's this little, uh, you know, Russian nesting doll of the clothing testifies to the body and the body testifies to the soul. We never see the thing that's underneath, but we know from the shape what's going on underneath, right? So you can see from the shape of my clothing what the shape is of my body. And you can see from my actions what the shape is of my soul, right? So all of these, you know, different components are, as he says, you know, testifying to what's really there. Okay, so now we're going to explain how this all gets back to, back to angels. Because remember, angels do not have a body. And therefore, the supernal angels who do not have a body are called, metaphorically, clothed in linen, meaning a clean and white linen garment, for this was their most expensive and important clothing. Okay, now, so remember, with humans, the clothing covers the body, which covers the soul. If you are an angel, we just leave out the middleman. Okay, the clothing covers the soul, but just as the clothing testifies to the shape of the body, so too the clothing, when we're talking about an angel, testifies to the shape of their soul. And this is why the priest and the high priest of the temple were commanded to wear linen garments for their devotion. Stop thinking of yourselves primarily in terms of your professional identity. You can choose to have your identity be characterized by something else. Okay, it can be characterized by your goal. It can be characterized by your spiritual achievements and your religious achievements, your interpersonal goals, right? It doesn't have to be professional, right? If what you choose to, you know, be your thing is the service of God, we, we're no longer going to call you, you know, Professor so-and-so, we're going to call because you are going to be like an angel. You are doing the same job that the angels do. And therefore, you should be wearing the same clothes that an angel wears. Because you have the same job. Okay, part of what a uniform does, right, is it just designates for you who's got the job, right? When I walk in to a hospital, right, and I'm looking for you know, a nursing assistant, or I'm looking for a doctor, or I'm looking for a nurse, right? I look for 
the folks in the school. I look for the folks in the white coats. I look for the people with, you know, pagers and, and ID cards, right? Because I'm looking at the uniform to tell me about what the role is that that person is serving, right? And so too, with our angelic selves, there is a type of clothing, right? There is a type of testifying about ourselves that we do, right? And the angel wears clothing and there, um, and the priest wears clothing, right? And I think this also goes back to, um, he, he talks about this in his passage, but it was getting too long, so I cut this piece out, right? That also Torah scholars, right? Have a certain way that they dress, they wear tzitzit, because their clothing testifies to who they are. How does this all get us to Shabbat? So now we're going to move to another work of Rav Tzadok Cohen, um, his commentary on the Torah. And he's obsessed with the holiness of Shabbat. You know, I was actually learning um, Pre-Tzadik with a Chavruta for a while. And I actually, we had to stop. Because I was like, he, he, I can't hear him talk about Yishan Shabbat anymore. I love Shabbos. Shabbos is the holiest, great, but I can't listen to him talk about it anymore. Okay, so here is um, the treatise that he has on the holiness of Shabbat. And therefore they said, okay, now he's going to bring us back to the Gemara that we learned earlier that teaches you about Shabbat. You should put on your dresses. These are Shabbat clothes. How do we know that these are Shabbat clothes? Okay, when Naomi says put on your dress, Right, we could just think, okay, so um, I suggested, right, that once we know that they're Shabbat clothes, then it says all of these things about how Ruth is presenting herself, okay, but there's a more basic question, which is, well, how do we even know that these are Shabbat clothes? And the answer that he gives is just so amazing. For clothing in general, have no connection to the essence of a person, that they would be called your dresses, which implies that they were unique to her and that they were exclusively hers. How do I know that we're talking about Shabbat clothes? Because Naomi did not say, put on a nice dress. She said, put on your dress. Um, you know, anybody who's ever been a young woman in summer camp knows, right, it's ironically, right, this isn't always true for young women that, like, there's a constant borrowing of Shabbat clothes that happens, right? But essentially what he's saying is the only clothes that can be called really yours, that they're unique to you and they are exclusively yours, are the clothes that you use to honor Shabbat. Because he continues. And what exclusivity is there? Going to highlight so people can follow with me. And what exclusivity is there in clothing for a person? If tomorrow someone else can wear them and he will wear different clothes, I give my clothes to Goodwill and then I go gift shopping and then it's the circle of clothes and, and these were your clothes and all the ones. What makes this mine? But Shabbat clothes, which are what one wears to honor the holiness of Shabbat, which is within themselves they certainly have a unique connection to the person who wears them just as the holiness of Shabbat is fixed in them. Let's get that one more time. Shabbat clothes are not like clothes that you wear to work or that you wear to work out, okay? Shabbat clothes are clothes that you wear in order to honor Shabbat. But when you honor Shabbat, you're not honoring some abstraction of the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you are honoring the holiness of Shabbat, which is within you. Every person has a unique connection to Shabbat and the clothes that you wear to honor and highlight and intensify that connection that you have to Shabbat are the only clothes that are truly, uniquely yours. For certainly in this way, right, in the way that one honors Shabbat, they are not similar to another person. Okay, there's another person out there who's, you know, a size six, but there's nobody else out there who is going to have the same experience of Shabbat as me. Right, so the clothes that I wear that are really about who I am, those are my clothes, right? And what we can see here you know, from, from this teaching and the previous teaching, the clothes that you wear 
you know, to dress business casual at work are not your clothes because they're not for you and they're not about you. They're about the role that you play and the way that other people perceive you. But your Shabbat clothes are actually about, remember, changing out of those old clothes that, you know, are about your sort of professional perceived self and into clothes that are about your real self, your spiritual essence, okay? They are clothes that you use to honor Shabbat. Like in the world to come, where each person has a, a world of his own and a house according to his station. So too on Shabbat, which is of the world to come, the holiness which is set in the hearts of B'nai Yisrael is in each one according to the root of his soul. Okay, now he's making certain assumptions that you might not hold, but are very clear to him that when we say that Shabbat is of the world to come, right, to him, what's significant about the world to come is that in this world, you know, how much I own is not at all connected to, to what I'm actually worth, right? But in the world to come, there's this, you know, image that everybody has a world or a house that is perfect for them. Okay, right. So if I am, you know, someone who is very invested, especially very invested in kindness and generosity, my house in the world to come is just going to be saturated with generosity. Um, so we say, if I know that the experience of Shabbat is uh, a uniqueness of the world to come, right, my Shabbat clothes are connected to this uniqueness. And just as the holiness of Shabbat is of the world to come, so too, the clothing that he wears in honor of that holiness is of the clothing of the world. Okay, in this world, the clothes that we wear conceal who we are or allow us to step into roles. In the world to come, the clothes that we wear are going to be through expressions of who we are. As it is known that there are garments for souls made from the Torah and mitzvot that he makes for them, each one according to who they are, and no stranger has a share in it. So even if from the aspect of their materiality, the clothing of Shabbat can certainly be worn by someone else tomorrow, or he will wear theirs. However, in terms of the holiness that inheres in them, that a person honors Shabbat through them, in this aspect, they are uniquely connected to her. I think that the main lesson that Rav Sadaka Cohen is teaching us, right, is about both the insignificance of clothes and the real significance of clothes, right? Because he talks about the clothing of the angels, right? And because the angels don't have bodies, their clothing actually represents who they are. And we also, we're also constantly stepping into clothing that testifies to who we are. But often the clothing that we're stepping into that talks about who we are is not really who we are in a spiritual sense, right? It's who we are professionally, who we are socially, right? All of, I just remember when I was in sixth grade, I bought this jean jacket that did not look good on me and was too expensive. My parents were not, you know, of means. And my mother said to me, that jacket doesn't look good on you. And it's like $60 back then was, you know, even more money. Why? I want to get it for you. And I said, if you buy me this jacket, I will get in with this group of friends. And if you don't buy me this jacket, these girls will never be my friends. Now, I don't know if the second half of that was true, but I bought the jacket. I wore it once and I'm still friends with these girls to this day, right? That's how middle school works. You wear certain clothes in order to get in with a certain crowd and you actually have to do it, right? It's just part of the game that we play. Um, but the teaching of Rav Tzadok, I think, is helping us say, but maybe Shabbat is actually about stepping out of that game. And even the way that we think of Shabbat clothes as, I'm going to dress up, and I'm going to look fancy, and I'm going to go to shul, and everybody's going to see my new heels and my new hat. That's actually the opposite, right, of what Shabbat clothes are supposed to be about. Shabbat clothes are not supposed to be more fancy. They're supposed to be different. And they're supposed to testify to who you really are in that you use them to honor Shabbat. That it's not superficial, 
right? The have is something that you are, you know, wearing in order to set aside, right, for yourself, both in the way that you perceive yourself and the way that others perceive you, that I'm in Shabbat mode now. During the week, I'm a certain professional, and in Shabbat, I'm another kind of professional, right? And the uniform that I'm stepping into, the dress code that I'm complying with, right, is one that testifies to myself as somebody who's invested in things that are not superficial, things that are real, right? And the irony is, right, that we're using clothing to testify to, you know, that we're not superficial and we are real. But, you know, if it makes you feel better, the angels also wear clothes, right? So it's not inherently superficial. Um, it's just about the way that you think about it um, and the way that you use it. I think you may have answered this implicitly, but I just am interested in your opinion on whether people who wear ritual garments to daven on Shabbos that they don't wear elsewhere in the week, whether how that counts for you. You know, this is, I'm just, I'm answering as me. I don't think it counts because if it's about, I only go to shul on Shabbat and therefore I have you know, some equipment that I need to go to shul, it's not actually about Shabbat itself, right? It's about kind of an environment that you're stepping into. Now, if you have a special Shabbat talit and a special weekday, you know, talit, then we're in business. Um, but if it's like you happen to only wear talit on Shabbat, right, I would say that's more like, um, you know, uh, equipment that it is really something that you're using for kavod, Shabbat. So I would say, unfortunately, for those of you who hope that qualifies, in my humble opinion, it does not qualify. I'm kind of of two minds if this puts more pressure on what you wear on Shabbat or less. I think it can put more pressure, but I would like it to put less. You know, I will just say that, like, as someone who has separate Shabbat everything, really starts to add up, right? Because I don't actually need right, two of the exact same fleece, one of which I only wear in Shabbat, one of which I wear during the week. I have twice as many coats as the normal person um, because I'm obsessed with having something separate for Shabbat, right? And there's a type of consumerism there that I'm like indulging under the guise of honoring Shabbat. And so I think that, I think that you're right, right? It's sort of intention really matters. If when you're wearing your Shabbat clothes, you feel like, you're doing it to honor Shabbat and it makes you feel that Shabbat is special, I would say you're doing it right. If when you put on your Shabbat clothes, right, and you go to shul and you see somebody else is wearing that dress and you're like, so embarrassed, right? Because I actually I'm wearing what I'm wearing in order to like look really good. I think that you might want to like have something. And I, and I, and I also want to say, right, that like Shabbat clothing does not have to be clothes that other people can see. Or know that you're know that you're wearing. You know, if you have like a bracelet, nobody's really going to notice right, that you only wear that bracelet on Shabbat. I am a special advocate for Shabbat pajamas. Right, it's a oneg Shabbat to take a long nap on Shabbat. Why not have special Shabbat pajamas? Nobody's going to know that you're the angel of sleep. Right, when you go to shul, um, that you have special Shabbat pajamas. But it's a it's an easy way, right, to make sure that you are doing this not for how other people perceive you, but really for your own experience of Shabbat. If you do wear something during the week, also, so it it kind of um, loses its uniqueness and all, and all all of what all of what it creates with with wearing it on Shabbat. Where the hard line would be like, you absolutely cannot have anything that overlaps. I would say a more achievable goal, the one that I'm hoping you know folks will take from this series is something, right, that you put on that you're only going to wear during the week. Not everything that you put on is something that you're not going to wear during the week. Although I would say, right, you know, if you're somebody who wears, um, ha- has clothing that like very much has a strong association with work for you, right? Maybe that isn't appropriate to wear on Shabbat. You know, I think that, I don't want to tell people to dress down in Shabbat, right? But if you're like a banker and you have to wear a suit and you hate wearing a suit, you know, buy me something, a nice sweater and, you know, and a, and a nice pair of slacks so that when you go to shul on Shabbat, you're not wearing the suit, right? Even if it's not the same suit, there's something about like buttoning those buttons, tying that tie that's going to make you feel like you're going to work with I, I would suggest maybe finding a way around that um, because I think that you're right. You know, like 
it's a spectrum um, and, and, it, and it could be could be good to figure out where the right place is to kind of find yourself. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg, Jeremy Tabak, and Susan Pileski. Thank you to Michal Birnbaum and Nadav Remez for editing this episode. Additional editing by David Chobinski. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.